1: Hello and welcome to All Things Policy. I am
0: Suyash Desai and I am joined by Aditya Parik. Today's episode is an effort to connect some dots and put into perspective some information about design and construction choices of submarines during the Cold War by the US and the USSR. We would be exploring some cutting-edge features, technologies and tactics that have their origins in the Cold War and the World War II era. Welcome, Aditya. Welcome to
2: uh, welcome on the show. Hi, Suresh. It's a pleasure to be here. And let me just acknowledge the superb work that the U.S. Naval Institute and Non Palmer have done for Cold War era naval history. And through reading their work, uh, I'm in a position to today talk about uh, Cold War era submarines and uh, the design and construction of uh, vessels that we see today.
0: Yeah. So, Aditya, you are a submarine buff. Uh, Where do you think submarine construction, as we know today? Its roots.
2: Well, uh, the way these days shipbuilding in general happens is in sections because, you know, there are huge uh, vessels that are uh, mounted onto a dry dock and then assembled. So this process uh, originally comes from World War II, Nazi Germany, Third Reich, uh, the Grand Admiral of the Marine, uh, Admiral Karl Dönitz. Well, uh, he noticed that uh, the U-boats were having an impact on the allies and their supply chains. But they weren't able to uh, replenish their losses or even field uh, enough U-boats to actually, uh, you know, strangle uh, allied efforts. So he inquired why this was and the answer was that uh, the construction of the vessel just took far too long. So... Uh, His first instinct was to approach the uh, Armaments Minister of uh, uh, Third Reich, Albert Speer. He is more popularly known as uh, Hitler's uh, architect. However, he was uh, the Armaments Minister during the war. So, uh, Albert Speer also agreed with him and he also sought a solution because he himself didn't have it. So, there was this curious individual called Otto Merker. He was an engineer and an industrialist Uh, who was very famous for his uh, uh, mass production uh, technology uh, innovations. So although he hadn't previously dealt with shipbuilding in general, but he had a very good idea of coming up with ways uh, to fasten uh, mass production of anything. So his idea was just build separate parts, separate sections, and then uh, assemble them onto a production line. So, this cut man-hours uh, required significantly in construction of U-boats and, well, uh, that's how we came to uh, this concept of uh, assembling sections of submarines and building them in as little as, say, 18 months, 10 months. So, that became possible because uh, the Germans had the ingenuity of coming up with the, uh, production lines and uh, assembly lines.
0: Well, that's very interesting, I uh, so we often hear air-independent propulsion would be a huge boost to any country's conventional submarines. Does this technology also have a connection to the past?
2: I'm glad you asked that, Suresh. See, uh, after the Second World War, the Kriegsmarine's uh, Type 21 were when you know when the dust was settled. The Type 21 was probably the uh, best submarine in the world to go to sea at that point. So after the war. Uh, When Germany had surrendered, so uh, the allies, especially the Soviets, uh, Stalin had given orders to the Red Army that when you occupy, you dismantle everything uh, and take it back to the Soviet Union for rebuilding. So this included the industrial infrastructure of Germany. So uh, that also included the shipyards and uh, the submarines there and even the prototypes there. So Type 21, although uh, the design was mature enough to go to sea, it wasn't exactly finished at the point, but it had so many great ideas integrated into it, including a form of air-independent propulsion. See, AIP, uh, it's a technology that has a long history dating back to even before the Second World War. Uh, the Craig's Marine had experimented with something called the uh, Hel- uh, Helmuth walter Hydrogen Peroxide Supplemented Propulsion System. So this was a very early form of AIP. Uh, there was a lot of development, but to post the Second World War, first, uh, the superpowers uh, in the shape of the Western Bloc and uh, the Eastern Bloc, they uh, did pursue, pursue it quite a bit, but to, uh, they soon lost interest because nuclear submarines just gave them an edge and it was something that, to, you know, uh, the way the tide of history turned, uh, it just made more sense than AIP submarines. So, When uh, AIP submarines became again important was uh, after the Cold War had ended and uh, uh, Sweden made its Gotland class. So, uh, you know, this this is something that uh, is quite often uh, portrayed to kind of belittle the absolutely humongous capacity that the US Navy feels today. So it was reported that in one of the exercises, this uh, Swedish Navy they uh, actually virtually sunk an uh, aircraft carrier of the US with their uh, AIP-enabled uh, Stirling engine submarine, uh, the Scotland-class. So the Swedes brought it back on the table. Uh, you know, there's also this advantage that AIP offers over nuclear propulsion in a very specific sense. You know, nuclear submarines, since they have a, a reactor always uh, on board and uh, they can't really shut it down. Otherwise, it would take a lot of time to restart it. Uh, so they always have a coolant pump, which makes noise. And uh, this is a limitation when you're uh, laying on the seabed and trying to conceal yourself from the enemy uh, on the surface. So diesel uh, electric submarines have this advantage that they can shut off just about almost all systems except their life support systems. And uh, they almost become a black hole. However, nuclear submarines, since they have to keep their coolant pump on, well, they lose that advantage.
0: So that's that's very interesting. Generally, people have not viewed. Uh, generally, people have not deep dived so much into this aspect of submarines. Aditya, uh, I also often wonder why are submarines uh, in that iconic cigar shape. I I presume you have some insight on that as well.
2: Yes, Suresh. Uh, that shape is actually uh, called the teardrop hull shape. So the idea behind that is because uh, when submarines dive, they need a better hydronomic uh, shape compared to what you would have on a surface ship. Uh, it just cuts better through uh, the depths. So early subs, however, going back to Craig's Marine, going back to uh, just post-war or World War II or just before that, uh, you would find that they were quite shaped like corvettes This was because at that time, they were uh, semi-submerged corvette-like vessels. They also had air defense guns and all, uh, which you would never find in modern submarines. So the thing to understand is, uh, when you actually look at early submarines, they were actually teardrop hull-shaped, the cigar hull-shaped. However, the Germans had to regress because, uh, you know, those early submarines, they were nothing more than uh, just... Uh, torpedo boats, and they were not exactly made for uh, operations submerged days on end. So, for days on end, you need a very good propulsion system that can uh, just snorkel and charge batteries. But that wasn't really uh, working with uh, World War uh, World War Two era subs. Uh, so, the Kriegsmarine had to regress to that shape.
0: Uh, that's that's fascinating, Aditya. Uh... Also, there are a lot of misconceptions about submarines, basically because we don't understand the systems and technology that well. Uh, There is one uh, misconception that I would like you to focus on and clarify it for us. Are nuclear subs truly unlimited by range or do they also have to surface or do they also have to come up? What is this misconception? Can you address this, please?
2: Yeah, Suresh, I've all, uh, almost always noticed that everybody just uh, writes off diesel electric submarines as being inferior in every sense. Like we previously just uh, talked about uh, that uh, noise making uh, problem with the coolant pumps on nuclear submarines is also uh, this fact that, you know, It's not even the fuel uh, that that is in the long run going to last on a nuclear submarine. See, it depends very much on the reactor design and the level of enrichment that uh, the reactor is using. But anywhere between 5 to 25 years, you're going to see a, a nuclear refueling. Uh, on that platform so it's not like you can just buy and build a nuclear submarine one and then you can forget about refueling it for uh, another 30 40 years whatever the end of life of the platform is so it uh, i mean the french submarines i if i recall correctly they have to be refueled every seven uh, seven eight years so it's not really that to, yeah once you buy it forget it uh yeah in a short short term tactical sense that yeah when you're on a sortie you're not thinking about refueling you're just thinking about uh uh reprovisioning uh, the food foodstuffs for uh, the crew on board but uh, by operational range yeah they are uh, they are virtually unlimited for a sortie but it's going to come back into port and going to receive a lot of maintenance probably far more and for far longer than a diesel electric would. It would have to have its uh, nuclear reactor shut. Or in some cases, uh, with some uh, Soviet submarines, it was that you couldn't uh, shut off their reactors because if you did, they would just freeze. The coolant inside uh, used to freeze uh, at a normal room temperature and then it would be untenable. You would have to scrap the vessel. So there's a lot of complexities involved that you would never find in diesel electric submarines. So nuclear submarines don't always have that edge and they're not... Truly unlimited in any sense, I would honestly say.
0: But how much time does it take to refuel a nuclear submarine, uh, Aditya? Uh,
2: I would say it takes months because, you know, they they have to uh, disassemble the the reactor block and then uh, they have to uh, actually refuel it. So it it takes months. It's not a process where uh, you can just connect the fuel lines, clean the hull and uh, you're ready to go. It takes months. It's a disassembly and whole engineering process. It has to be recertified for operations and all that uh, trials and stuff happens.
0: Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Finally, uh, Aritya, the Soviet Union championed submarines for their fleet above all else. Are there any dots that we can connect there?
2: I'm glad, Suyash, uh, asked this because, you know, I'm fascinated by the fleet that the Soviet Union fielded back in the 70s. That was the peak of their uh, military build-up uh, during the Brezhnev era, and at that time, they were probably fielding the uh, biggest uh, nuclear submarine field, fleet in the world. And uh, I would say that uh, this was because of the asymmetric uh, nature of uh, subsurface platforms. You know, uh, this has been a constant with the, This had been a constant with the Soviet system that they were always playing catch-up with the Western allies in just about everything. Sputnik moment uh, excluded. They were always playing catch-up in uh, technology. But, you know, uh, the vision that to the uh, their chief of naval staff for uh, Admiral uh, Gorshkov, Sergei Gorshkov, brought to the table. Uh, he was always about to, uh, you know, high, uh, high-tech platforms first and asymmetric platforms first, second first. So uh, he was truly one of those people that, challenged the US navy which at that point after defeating imperial japan had uh, come to this conclusion that yeah we can hold our own but he made them uh, rethink what they were doing and constantly strive for perfection so uh, going back to the soviet union uh, it also has an angle with russia's maritime geography you know with perhaps one of the biggest areas of responsibility in their backyard being the arctic which is frozen over. So the Soviet Navy had to adopt to operating effectively in extremely low temperature conditions. Uh, I've heard anecdotes uh, by Indian naval officers uh, when, when I've spoken to them that uh, Russian platforms in service with the Indian Navy, you have to have temperatures inside the uh, ship uh, close to 14 degrees centigrade. At all times for the actual equipment to function because it has been made for those conditions back in Russian waters. So, uh, you know, these waters, if not patrolled constantly, the Arctic would give the Soviets' adversaries a safe haven uh, just off their coast where uh, these uh, adversarial powers could hide submarines that might threaten the Soviet Union's sea lines of communications and uh, the homeland itself with their uh, cruise missiles on board, uh, their ballistic missiles on board. So uh, there was also another problem that there was a capability gap uh, for the uh, Russians, for the Soviets uh, to reposition their fleet assets. So they were not just dealing with the Arctic, they were also dealing with the Atlantic and the Pacific. So they were aiming for a true blue water fleet. So, you know, with the Soviet Union, it was always about extremes. So whenever the... uh, Americans challenged them with uh, better speeds, they tried to one up them and they did. You know, when you read about the Alpha class, the Papa class K uh, 222 uh, Ankar submarine, you know, uh, these two especially fascinate me. You look at their uh, propulsion system, like Bismuth cooled uh, reactors. You know, the uh, nuclear reactors were fueled by something, cooled by something that if you leave it, not running it's going to freeze over and uh, it's going to jam the system and this actually did happen after the dissolution of the soviet union and uh, those alpha submarines had to be scrapped because uh, they were just turned off and you couldn't do that with that design it was you know pushing it to the extreme 40 knots is something at which torpedoes are supposed to sail something that aircraft carriers are supposed to sail full steam ahead to escape a submarine so when you're reaching that kind of speeds now it's something uh, that is unheard of it is something actually extreme that i I just don't even have words to express how uh, absolutely extreme that is so uh, these submarines uh, also had something special which is to this day the russians take pride in they have this concept of double hulls and a uh, they have this ballast hull and they have the actual hull of the submarine. So the ballast hull that they uh, built was supposed to be uh, made out of uh, titanium for these submarines, which is far harder to work with than uh, conventional steel is, which the most of the world made submarines out of. So the Russians always won up the industrial process that, yeah, we're going to push our naval assets to the extreme in that era. So I just absolutely love that.
0: That's, that's fascinating, Aditya. Uh, for people who are more interested in, in uh, knowing about submarines, I would ask you or I would request you to please check the latest blog, which is written by Aditya. It's on the Takshashila website. It's called Design and Construction of Submarine: Some cutting-edge features, technology and tactics that have their origin in the Cold War and World War II era. Yeah, and Aditya writes a regular newsletter. They want to, in one line, can you mention what
2: is your newsletter about Aditya? Sure, Suvish. Uh, my newsletter is called uh, Space Matters and uh, it looks at the geopolitics of space uh, as well as uh, the new launches, technologies and plans that are coming into fruition uh, for supremacy uh, in space by different space powers. Thanks,
0: thanks, Aditya. Uh, we will uh, we'll make sure that both the links of the Aditya's blogs and Aditya's uh, newsletter are in the description of this podcast. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening in uh, to this fascinating conversation on Submarine. Thank you.
2: Thank you for having me, Suresh.
1: If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy, and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at Takshashilainst or our website takshashila.org.in.